Hello, welcome to the Lean of Plants podcast. My name is Chelsea, and if you are struggling to lose weight on a plant-based diet, then this podcast is for you. While there are thousands of books, podcasts, and resources about the benefits of a plant-based diet, the reality is that being vegan does not guarantee losing weight. If you are feeling frustrated and confused about where to start, or you know exactly what you should be doing, but you just can't seem to rustle up enough willpower to do it, then keep listening. In this podcast, you'll learn the truth about plant-based weight loss, but just as importantly, how to use proven methods of behavioral change to turn what you know into lifelong habits that lead to getting and staying lean. Can't wait to get started. Let's do this. Hello, welcome to the episode. I'm super excited for this one because we're going to be talking about what I'm teaching my children about body image, relationships with food, and the goals that I have for them so that they can enter adulthood without the hangouts that most of us have around dieting. I've wanted to talk about this for a long time. I've always felt it's a little bit out of my realm because it's kind of diving into parenting. But what I've realized is that for a lot of women, we're, we're so concerned with not wanting to bring those hang-ups that we have and the associations that we have around food and dieting that we saw uh, our, the, our parents' generation or for a lot of people their mums do. We don't want to bring that into our kids' lives and so it becomes a constraint for actually how you, you show up and you diet and you eat the foods that you want to eat, you eat broccoli, you eat vegetables, all of these things. And so if you can have confidence, which is what I do, which is amazing, feels phenomenal, about how you are sharing about food and bodies to your kids, then it's going to make your own journey much, much easier. Plus this becomes something super positive that you can actually change on a generational level for your children. The disclaimer for this is I'm not a, a parenting expert I have two young daughters, eight and five currently, and I by no means have any data to say that they're going to turn out okay. They're pretty amazing right now, but it's very early days. The authority piece or the reason that I think I have some industry to talk about this is that my personal relationship with food, my personal relationship with how I see my body is something I want my kids to have. That the way that I view all of this is extremely positive. And if I can impart that to my kids, they're going to be just fine. So I think that's where I'm coming from is that these are these mindsets, these frameworks that I'm going to talk about, the way that I view all of this, it's helped me in my journey. And I believe that it is, is only going to be positive. In saying that, please take everything with a grain of salt. If you hear a nugget that just resonates with you, then... Give me a virtual high five, let's do this, use it, implement it, and if not, throw it out. It doesn't matter, you don't have to believe or follow everything that your favorite podcaster, or aka me, talks about. You are allowed to pick and choose what resonates. The theme that came through as I was writing this outline was how a lot of the either negative or positive view we have about this topic 
comes from whether we ascribe meaning and value to somewhat neutral things. It's kind of abstract, but I want you to bear that in mind as you're listening to things and question yourself, hey, is that a value that I hold or is that just something I believe because I've been taught to believe it or that the associations of my life have led to me coming to a certain conclusion? Because if you come to a conclusion and it's not actually in line with what you value and who you want to be, then you're allowed to throw that away. And there's a lot of things that I've done this with in my life where I've been told, hey, like this thing is, I'm doing air quotes here, bad, or this thing right here is good. And I'm like, well, actually, do I, do I have any data or do I have any reason why I would believe that or why I need to believe that? And you're allowed to, as you age, make different choices about those things. So let's move on from this. Getting back to what the goal is is what are we actually trying to achieve this is the most important part here and you can go away as a parent or as someone who is just interested in having a positive relationship with food and their bodies for the rest of their lives you can ask yourself what are you actually trying to achieve this is going to be different for every person but for me I'm looking to have Kids who have a great relationship with food, that means that it neither controls them nor takes up too much space in their lives, that it's something that is, exists in order to fuel their lives in a positive way as opposed to be the centerpiece of their lives. I want to have girls that grow up and don't have to play the beauty game. I'll talk about what that means in a moment, but essentially I want them to grow up and exist in the world in a positive way and see themselves in a positive way, regardless of whether they are beautiful or not. It is not a metric or a value that I personally choose to hold. And if I can give them that, then to me, that's success. I also want to empower my daughters with the tools and the knowledge, and then also the habits that are going to allow them to make empowered choices about their life and about their bodies. So that it's normal for them to know how to cook a meal that fuels them well. That if they want to lose fat or gain weight or build muscle or anything at some point, they know how to do that. They know how to do that in a healthy way. That is not something that feels scary or difficult. That they they really just have a toolkit that they can do those things. And then the habits where most of those things are just default. I mean, how cool would it be if you'd have grown up in an environment where it's normal to eat vegetables every day. It's normal to drink water instead of soda. It's normal to eat until you're full and have no one comment on that and just eat as much as you want. Imagine if that was the life that you'd grown up in, then your habits would be so much easier to carry on because that's just what you'd been taught. So that's what I'm wanting to achieve. I also want to have girls who respect their bodies and use them in a way that enriches their life. Because I objectively believe that if you live in the healthiest body that you can, within reason, without that taking up all of your life and all of your brain space in order to achieve that, then you are going to have a better life. I, I, I just believe that. You can believe that, you cannot. It's totally fine. And then lastly, I really want them to see their body as a neutral tool rather than something that is good or bad. And there's this quote that I love from C.S. Lewis. I could not find it for the life of me. But he talks about uh, how 
innate objects can be used as either something positive or negative, good or evil. He tells a story about a man walking up a hill. This man finds a stick and he uses the stick to help him walk up the hill. That stick is good in that moment. I'm doing more air quotes. There's going to probably be a lot of this. A little while later, there's someone else coming down the hill and this guy, for whatever reason, I'm, I'm paraphrasing a lot of this, by the way, he gets the stick and he starts beating the other man. Like you, when you turned on this episode, you didn't know it was going to get this violent this fast. But here we are. And so now that same stick is actually being used for evil. And really that's just about the choices that we make. And I want to impart that to my girls. Everything on this list has been an intentional thought process about the value metrics that I hold. And there are things that aren't on here that I don't believe are going to serve my kids. But if I had never thought about this and I, and I was just living in default, then whether they were on the list or not, they would still be things I was imparting. So it's really important to recognize that we all hold value metrics, but not all of them are going to serve us. So dissect that, think about that, and analyze that as you listen to the rest of this episode. So if we all hold value metrics and they don't all serve us, then we get to decide what they actually are. And so a big part of this for me is deciding that I want to come against a beauty-obsessed culture. I've talked about this in another episode that I really don't want to hold beauty as a, a value metric. I don't ascribe to body positivity for that reason because I don't I don't think that beauty is the be all and end all of life. I don't think you have to be beautiful. I think that really what we look like is a wrapping paper. And that that's all it's ever going to be. It's really pretty skin deep, which is very small. I have this huge graze on my knee currently from being at the skate park. And it's pretty raw. It's pretty rough looking. The funny thing is that it's incredibly thin. The, the difference between my skin looking smooth and normal and nice and a huge cut or a huge scrape on my knee is is millimeters so I don't want to teach my children my daughters that beauty is a metric that they need to hold because we all age some of us are going to be extremely good looking some of us are not and that's okay and there's a book that I'm reading currently it's called how to raise girls who like themselves really rate it, recommend it a lot. It's been super helpful for me. It's been super affirming because a lot of these things are things I've thought about and that I believe and they talk about this in that the only way to win the beauty game is to not play it. And instantly as I'm saying this, I know that it's going to bring up a lot of internal resistance in some people. I know that me just saying like, hey, I don't ascribe to body positivity is going to feel like a sucker punch to a lot of people that do and the thing is it's like I don't I don't really care whether you do or don't like that's fine like whether you do or don't like it, it's not it doesn't matter to me in any way shape or form if that's something that you find helpful then use it but the reason that I personally don't want to ascribe to that is 
really just coming back to this question of why does it have to be beautiful? Why do you have to be beautiful? Why does everyone have to be beautiful? Why does stretch marks have to be beautiful? Why does loose skin have to be beautiful? Why does pimpled a pimpled face has to be beautiful? Why does a smooth face have to be beautiful? Why does it matter? Like, why does it matter? I objectively don't think that stretch marks look great. But I also objectively don't care that they don't. I mean, a little part of me cares, like a little bit. I don't think that cellulite looks as good as smooth skin. I really don't. I'm just putting it out there. Does it matter? Eh, not really. This has been one of the things that has helped me most on my journey because it allows me to view my body in a functional way rather than in a pretty way. And I'm less concerned with hyping myself in the, up in the mirror and saying like, hey, you look great, you look amazing. And instead, when I'm having those days where I'm like, you know what, you don't look great, you don't look good, like you're, you just really don't, whether it's true or not, it allows me to go, well, it doesn't matter. And the challenge that I have to anyone listening that is feeling that internal resistance is if you hear that someone is ugly, or if you were to hear someone say, hey, that person's ugly, or you were to not think of yourself as beautiful, why is that something that is negative? It's only negative if we ascribe meaning to it. Isn't that the funny thing? Remember how I talked about how recognize we all hold value metrics, but they might not serve you? What if someone who was ugly, what if they didn't mean anything? What if it was as, as neutral as saying that someone had purple hair? Or what if it was as neutral as saying that it's raining today or it's sunny today? What if beauty didn't actually matter? Being ugly or having blemishes and all of these other things that we're trying to say are beautiful only matters if we put beauty on a pedestal because then they don't fit the narrative. Then all of these things that, in my mind, this is just, this is just me, in my mind aren't actually all that amazing to look at objectively. We're trying to fit them into a metric and we're trying to put them on a pedestal that never mattered in the first place. And when you, what you see is that this plays out in so many industries. We have multi-billion dollar industries designed to help women try to look younger. Why does it matter if you look younger? Why is that a value metric that we hold? Because we have this inherent idea that in order to hold value as a woman, we have to be beautiful and young. Because beauty does come or it is associated with youth. We do get worse looking as we age. But it doesn't matter that we do. Like it really doesn't. Unless we ascribe meaning to it. It's a funny little thing, but I always think about the friend stars. And I think about how amazing they looked when that show first aired. And then when you look at them now, and a lot of them have really tried to maintain that youthful glow that they had back then. Like a beautiful people, absolutely phenomenally beautiful people when that first, when that first aired. Now, no. Like, I'm just going to say it. I don't think they look that great anymore. That's normal. That's okay. I don't think they have to look great anymore. Really, they're on that show mostly because of how they look. Because that's what we value in our society. Like, that's the, that's the commodity or the currency, I should say, of Hollywood. Which is fine. It is what it is. Fine or not. Who cares? Whatever. It is what it is. But should someone have to preserve that in order to preserve their value in that industry? I'd argue probably. That's what you're trying to achieve. But for the rest of us, like, do we have to play that game? No. 
only if we choose to. So when I think about this in terms of how I want to share this with my daughters is I, I, I want to strongly come against a beauty-obsessed culture by not focusing on beauty. I do not call my kids pretty. I do not say you look nice today. Like this is, this is going to sound wild to a lot of people. I do not say, wow, look, you, you look really, really beautiful. If other people comment on that, I try and diffuse it or add something in about their character, something that they have control over. If they ask to me, how do I look? I will often say, well, what do you think? <laughs> and I will also say, does it matter to you? And the cool thing is now is starting to see my kids actually come back to me and I can't even remember the context of this, but they will say things like, I look like this or this person look like this, but it doesn't matter what you look like. And I'm just like, my heart just leaps when I hear that because like, how cool is that? That they, even at such a young age, know that it doesn't matter what you look like. Like it truly doesn't. It doesn't change your value as a human being. A final thought on this before we move on. Well, there's two things. The question doesn't matter is a super powerful one to continually ask yourself. And when I find myself trying or wanting to slip back into playing the beauty game, when I see the gray hairs that are coming, when I look at like the fuzziness of my hair, when I look at the wrinkles that are coming, when I compare myself to other women who are flipping hot, it allows me to ask that question doesn't matter because the reality is there is always going to be many many people who look a lot better than I do there is always going to people be people younger than me as I continue to age that that majority is going to get more there's going to be even more people that look better than me the older that I get so allowing myself to ask this question in those moments of like whether I feel beautiful or not of does it matter, it puts it in its place. It allows me to go, well, you know what, I don't feel good today about myself or I feel good about myself, but you know, ultimately, does it really matter? Am I getting stronger? Yes. Am I being the kind of person that I want to be? Yes. Can I be a good mum regardless of whether I was completely scarred and burned or not? Yes, I can. I can do those things. I can... I can live up to the value metrics that I decide on regardless of whether beauty is in my life or not. But I can still appreciate it for what it is. And I think this allows us to view beauty as something that it's meant to be. And in my mind, like obviously this is my opinion, this is my podcast. But I believe beauty is something that is designed for us to appreciate. I feel that... We, when we try to ascribe beauty to everything, it loses its meaning more, while simultaneously telling us that everything has to fit into that mold. So it simultaneously loses meaning, while also becomes the most meaningful thing. It's a, it's a dichotomy, it's weird, but it, it kind of makes sense. So now I can look at beautiful girls in the gym, and I go like, man, like, look at her, like, she, she looks great, like, wow like well done god or well done like however your genetics whatever happened like you look amazing i can appreciate that i can appreciate when things look great i can appreciate 
a beautiful sunset. I can appreciate all of these things. My kids are cute objectively. I do appreciate that. I do enjoy it. But when things aren't, they don't lose value. When we age and when we grow uglier, and whether we're ugly or beautiful, it doesn't change our value system or our intrinsic value. And that's really, really exciting. And little analogy to wrap this up in terms of how I view it, because I so, I so want people to understand this. I know it's so counter-cultural, and I don't know if I can do this justice. It's okay. We'll move on. This is the analogy that has helped me most. If we think of beauty as wrapping paper, and that everyone's wrapped in something. Some people are wrapped in newspaper. Some people have this shiny beautiful bow they have like all of this the patterns they've got like the the fancy paper you can tell that I'm not much of a wrapping person <laughs> I'm the newspaper wrapper or not at all but I would way rather have a new iPhone wrapped in newspaper than to open this beautiful shiny pretty box and find a slug so use that as it is, as you may, take what you want from that. I'm going to work personally on what's on the inside and what I can control rather than something that is really a, a ticking time bomb, a devaluing asset that I really don't want to focus on. Let's move on. Another value that I want my children to understand is the process, not just the results. So value processes, value the journey, value the things within your control, how you win today, not just achieving the goal. So when you think about this in terms of food and behavior around food, that's the process and the focus of living a healthy lifestyle, regardless of whether you're at your goal weight or in your goal body or not. So you're looking at this in terms of an identity and being identity driven, I am a healthy person. I eat vegetables because that's part of who I decide to be. I am someone who takes care of myself. That's a process. That's something that you can win at continually. Whereas how you are in terms of the outcome, it is going to be determined by what you do day in, day out. But if you put all of your value into something that you can only achieve in the future through so much hard work and effort in the process of getting there, then you, you're basically spending most of your life failing until that one moment where you've now succeeded and you've struggled and you've hated the entire journey. Whereas I want my kids to learn that they can win every day because they show up in a way that is consistent with who they want to be. And so the journey becomes rewarding not just the outcome. And so part of the way that I do this for my kids is that I want to praise and I want to highlight habits and actions rather than just outcomes because outcomes are just the result of a million tiny, tiny actions. But when we focus on only actions, it does two very detrimental things. It stops us from wanting to try because if we fail and we don't get that outcome, then we feel like a failure. Like that's the first thing. So it stops us trying. It also means that we're likely to give up along the way because it's not very rewarding to continue doing a behavior when 
we feel like well we're not actually making progress because progress or what we see as progress is just hitting a goal so i'm always thinking about what are some of the value metrics that regardless of whether we're at a goal or not regardless of how i feel about something today or where it's going to be in the future how can how can we win today how can we what can we learn about the things within our control? Beauty, not very much within our control. Whether you're at a goal, your goal weight today or tomorrow, probably not really in your control unless you're very, very close to that. But what you can control is your perseverance, your courage, your determination, your resilience, your kindness, curiosity, your reasoning, your hard work, your patience, your problem solving, your ability to take responsibility, be a victor and a hero of your story rather than a victim. The great thing about this is that the more you do it, and the more that you celebrate the actions and the habits associated with results, the more that becomes its own reward and the more you want to do it. So the faster you actually reach those things. Real key story on this is so we have this mini ramp little baby half pipe it's essentially a a whole lot of uh, pieces of plywood where there's a curve on both ends think of it as kind of like a little bowl um, and that's open on two sides we got this little mini ramp and Riley and I and I my daughter who's eight years old we were out there one day and I was like hey Riley because she can go up and down quite well. Riley, why don't you try and do a turn on the mini ramp? And she was scared to do that. She was scared because she didn't want to fail. And so I was like, hey, you, know, you don't have to get this right. You don't have to succeed in any way, shape or form. You win and we're going to count points for you by the effort that you have, by giving it a go, by trying to do it. And so she tried and we're like, yay, Nick and I are both sitting out there, yay, well done, Riley, like, that's amazing, like, look at you, you gave it a go, you got out of your comfort zone, you tried something, she did not make it, this is what's really important to understand, she didn't make it, she didn't do the turn very well at all, she may have even have fell, yes, I'm that parent that when my kids fall, I'm like, wow, that's amazing, good fall, because you tried, I will literally be yelling at my kids, nice fail, <laughs> on the playground, because that's a metric that I hold is try stuff and fail fast. And so because that was a rewarding process, because the effort itself, the habit, the behavior felt good because we praised it, she tried it again. And then we rewarded that effort again, the process. And so she could win by doing those little action steps that allowed her to get closer to actually getting the outcome, which was turning on the mini ramp. The crazy thing is because of the way that we did that, she ended up trying to do a turn about 160 times. We counted out 160 times. How much better do you think she was at the end of 160 tries? She could turn on the mini ramp. She could go up the side lift the back of the board, no, the front of the board, and turn it 180 degrees and come back down the ramp. Can you imagine how different that scenario would have been if the first time she tried, we're like, oh, oh, sad that you didn't get that. Do you want to try again? Oh, nearly. Come on, you can do it. Oh, come on, Riley. Give it another go. Like, none of those goes are very rewarding. 
none of that feels very exciting to continue on because you you failed. Oh, it's another fail. Oh, oh, it's another fail. Ah, oh. and I see parents do this all the time, and it kills me inside. I got to be honest. I it, it kills me when I see people saying, "Oh, nearly. Oh, you you almost got it." And I'm like, "No." And when people do that to my kids, I hate it so much. When people say to my kids, they try something, they're like, "Oh, like you nearly got it." I'm like, "Don't reward that. Reward the effort." Say like, "Nice fail." nice fail like don't reward the fact that they're or don't highlight that they're not at the goal highlight the fact that they put in the kind of behavior that is going to inevitably reach the goal if they continue on and you can use this for yourself as well like this is the cool part about all of this you can use it in your own journey when you know well what are the behaviors and actions that are going to eventually lead me to the goal that I have it's probably trying things over and over again. It's eating a pound of vegetables every day. It's putting broccoli into your face hole and chewing on it. It's not hopping on the scales and magically being there. You can win every single day when you have this idea of I'm going to reward and I'm going to give myself credit for the actions daily and the process daily not just the result here's the other cool thing when it comes to how you parent in this and how your kids see you act around food is if you do and you see this as a process that is its own reward that is sustainability that is much more of a lifestyle choice and a lifestyle decision than it is showing them what dieting is because dieting is always about the result Crash dieting, dieting, whatever you want to call it, like the semantics on whether this is a diet or not. I would say that a diet is just anything in terms of how you eat. Crash dieting, fad dieting, it's all about doing something that you're never going to continue long term in order to get a fast result. So you're never going to sustain those kind of habits. You wouldn't want to. You wouldn't want to be continually just drinking soup or you wouldn't want to be skipping meals continuously. Like I, I would hope that you wouldn't want to do that or just eating little tiny protein shakes then replacing full meals. I'm guessing that's something that you wouldn't want your kids to be doing long term or that you would want to be doing long term. So if you're rewarding or you're, you're what people say white knuckling it and you're focusing on behaviors and you're doing behaviors that in and of themselves really don't warrant a pat on the back, then you're teaching your kids to focus on just outcomes rather than be process driven. And we all know that that doesn't work. And this is a shout out to anyone as a child who was praised for outcomes. Because I know from talking to many, many of you that you are scared to try new things. You are scared to fail. You are scared to put yourself out there. Because you don't want to look like a failure. Because you were praised for results. A lot of kids that I see, or adults now, who were athletic as children, who were into sports, really struggle with this. Because they've been praised their entire lives about hitting an outcome. And so now, whenever they are not good at something, whenever they're like, well, you know what, I might muck up, I might make a fool of myself, I might fail, I might fall, they don't want to do that. Because they've been taught that they win by succeeding. 
And we only win by doing things a million times. And there's so much failure along the way. Millions of tiny actions, some of which are failures, some of which are micro, micro successes, which if it really is just the only metric of success in some ways that you need, especially as you're learning something, it's sad. It's sad that we, we get to that point, but we can stop the cycle now. Like That's what's exciting to me. You can stop the cycle now in many areas, but especially involving food. And I challenge you, if you're in a journey of trying to lose weight, to ask yourself, how can you reward the process? How can you win every day? What are those value metrics? This is a big thing that we do inside of my program, Land of Plants. We look at how can someone win on a daily basis? How can their habits, how can they get 100% on their habits? Or how can they even get 80%? How can they even improve on their habits? We have this internal scoring system where we look at if this person does these behaviors and they do them on a daily basis, they will see weight loss. The crazy thing is, and we have it like a star system and everything. My team and I, we look at this. And so when we do calls with people, we know if someone's hitting all of these stars, if someone's eating their vegetables, I'll tell you right now, like I don't want, do not want to gatekeep this information because implementation is the hard part. Actually knowing what to do is really, really simple. If you eat a pound of vegetables every single day, if you walk for, let's say you do 5,000, 7,000 steps around that amount, some kind of movement in your day consistently. If you eat mostly whole foods, and if you have some kind of accountability system, so for us, like we take pictures of food, like we have that accountability system. If you do those things, you will see results. <laughs> Wild and simple, but true. But if you want to just focus on one, eat your veggies. Eat your veggies every meal if you can, or just eat one pound of veggies a day. And then reward that process. Get yourself a star chart if you need to. That's literally all it is. I want to talk about behaviors around how we view our bodies and how we talk about our bodies in front of our kids so coming back from this theme of and appreciating and rewarding and gamifying the process and the actions and behaviors rather than outcomes I am really really clear about praising and commenting on actions and behaviors that are within my kids control not not things that are outside of their sphere of influence so the things that I won't say I've already outlined a bit of that I will not tell my kids they're pretty I do not tell my kids you're so smart when they do something I don't say wow you're such a good artist I don't say wow like look at you you're a little genius because there's a lot of studies that show that when kids are taught or they, they have this, this praise that is for things outside of their control, like whether you're pr- smart, pretty good at drawing, all of these things. When people have this identity to hold up, then they don't want to try on things that they're not good at. They will take less risk because they don't want to jeopardize that identity. And those things are mostly outside of your control. So I always reward processes and I always try to comment on things within their control. Oh, you did a great picture. Like, well done for persevering. I know you wanted to give up on that. I know you wanted to quit halfway through. If they're looking good and if they they want feedback on that. Wow, like I'm really, like it's really interesting how you put your clothes together today. Like tell me about like how you made those decisions to put those things together. When they say, hey, like do I look good? Like, I will say things like, well, what do you think? And they say, I like, I like it. There's a cool thing in this book that I'm reading that I mentioned. 
They said that every time that your kid comes to you and they say, how did I do with this? Or how, what do you think about this? Whether that's a picture, whether that's how they look, whether that is like their homework, literally anything on the swings, all of those kind of things. It's a really great opportunity for you to teach them that their own opinion is what matters. Their own opinion is something that they can trust. So putting it back on them, you will do this millions of times a day. And you can do this for yourself as well. Like that's the cool thing. Hey, do I look good? Do I look not? What do you think? Well, first of all, do I look good? Does it matter? Hmm, no, let's move on from that one. Was I, what do I think about this? Did I try? Yeah, okay, great. Awesome, what do you think? You're able to put that back onto them. Really importantly is... I do not tell, I never, ever say and to myself, I'm ugly, I'm fat, I look gross. I've heard so many derogative things that women say about themselves and you can sure as heck know that your kids are hearing those things too. And I don't even, it, it, sometimes it just shocks me so much that women still talk about themselves this way. Like it is a choice, my friend. Like I, I say this with so much love and so much compassion for what you've been through. But if you are calling yourself ugly, if you're looking in the mirror and you're saying, wow, I look so fat or like, look at me, I'm an ogre. People say things like I'm an ogre or like I look like Shrek or like I'm disgusting and like all these like awful, awful things. Just stop. It's a choice. If you continue to do this with how detrimental it is to your psyche and to the people in your sphere, then you are choosing to pass on those things. Like I say that with love, but you can make a decision to flip the narrative. And it is probably going to be hard to retrain yourself, but you can say if you do slip up and you do say those things, combat it with something that you do truly value. Start to change the narrative for yourself. So if I'm not feeling the best and I look in the mirror and say I'm ugly, I mean, I don't, I just don't do it. Or if, I'm, if I look and I'm like, wow, I have fat there. Like, first of all, I just don't comment on it because it's not necessary. But I will flip the narrative for myself. And I'm like, wow, like, look at the fact that my legs can run. Wow, look at the fact that these legs, which do have like quite a bit of, in my mind, okay, like we're, we're our own worst critic, but I can see the flab on them. Like, I can see the parts that I don't like. I can see the cellulite. I see all that stuff. But I can look at them and I can say, wow, like, look at these legs. Like, they go on the skate park. Look at these legs. They bend down and they can lift some heavy stuff. Look at what I can do. That's within my control. How they look right now, nah, doesn't matter. Not within my control. So the way we talk is absolutely huge. This is a very, very simple one as well. Like, this is a very, very fast implementation. Just stop saying bad things about yourself. You can stop saying great things about yourself. Like, I don't think it, you need to say, I think you can say things about things within your control. I think that's where we can really start to change things, which I've already talked about. Flipping that narrative to how you can win today. So not going like, hey, wow, like, look at how strong my muscles are. This is, this is one for me right now, because most of you know, or whether you do, maybe you don't, who cares? I'm on a muscle building journey. I'm intentionally trying to gain muscle. I'm gaining a bit of weight in the process. That is my goal. It's fun. <laughs> it's emotionally, there's things there with that that I'm working through. That's fine. I have a lot of tools to do that. But when I look at 
the changes and I see that in my body, the positive or the negative ones, I've got a choice where I go, do I focus on that as an outcome? Do I reward the outcomes? Like if I'm looking in the mirror, I'm like, wow, you don't look like you've made any change. Is it helpful for me to say that or is it more helpful for me to reward the processes that are within my control today? Charles, like you went to the gym when you didn't want to. You pushed it in your workout today. And I've literally gone to the bathroom in my gym at times when I've found myself comparing myself to other women in that space and I've looked at myself in the mirror and rather than saying like yeah go queen like you look amazing like look at you you're phenomenally beautiful because I don't believe that that's true and I don't care that that's true I've looked at myself and I said Chelsea you're here Chelsea like you are showing up consistently Chelsea you are you can push yourself today regardless of what the outcome is you can win today Look at you. Look at you badass. Like you're here doing the doing the work, doing the time, putting doing the mahi. And that's that's been enough for me to get out and then go and push it because I can control that. I'm the victor in that. I'm the hero of my story because the hero's journey, I did a podcast about this. Go listen to it. It is a really good one. The hero is in a process of becoming who they're designed to be. They meet so many obstacles along the way. They have so many things that they're going to learn that is going to change their identity to finally become the kind of person that is either going to win the battle or die trying. And everything along that way is a process designed to, to help them to level up. It's not about being where you want to be. If we're doing things right, then we're always going to be growing. Like that's my goal. I want to be challenging myself continually. I want to be growing. I don't want to be the same person that I am a year from now that who I am today. And so what that means is I'm never going to arrive. So I've got to be process driven. So I want to teach my kids that. And that's going to come into every area, not just food. But a big part of that is is how we see our bodies and how we talk around food. So personally, I'm not commenting on other people's bodies. And I there's a lot of research on this as well of not commenting on other people's bodies. Because if you think back to that thing that I said straight away, oh, not straight away, at the very beginning, I'm getting excited. I better drink some water. This is your sign to go drink some water as well. Hydrate recognize we all hold value metrics but they might not serve you so when you comment on someone's body the way you comment is a function of what you value if you comment and you say oh like look at that person they've really let themselves go you're valuing your you've you've got meaning behind that there is meaning behind that this isn't really important especially for what your kids hear you talk about it's really important for what daughters hear their dads talk about I'm I I wish it wasn't as big a thing but the way that men talk about women's bodies and what they value about them so if there's a a great a, a beautiful server that comes to the table they walk away and if the if your daughter hears men in their life saying like, wow, like, like, look at her. She was beautiful. It's like, yeah, it may be objectively true, but you've, you've now put up that beauty is the biggest value metric that that person can hold. Something outside of their control. So kids hear that. 
Like that that's the unfortunate thing of it. So there's a lot that we come in combat with. It's not just from what goes on in your own home. It's not just what you speak about it. But the people in the sphere of influence of your kids' life, like you, your spouse, like anyone that's in that world, like they have the biggest influence of that. So I, I just really don't make comments on people's bodies. I try hard not to. The caveat to this is if someone, if you know someone is working towards a specific goal and you know that they are putting in like specific effort and it makes sense to say something because you're close to that person, I can't, I do believe that's positive. I'm just like, I I want it to be a blanket rule, but we have like a, a really good friend we have a, a really great couple friend, Nick and I, and I work out with the girl. We go to the gym together twice a week. They know that I'm intentionally trying to build muscle. They know that that is my goal. And so this friend of mine, this dude, he knows I'm putting in a significant amount, like five days a week significant amount of time and effort into building muscle it's not just the time it's the gym it's all the tofu it's all the edamame it's the more food that I'm eating he's very close to the situation because his wife's also involved in that in some way and so he made a comment to me which was Charles like you're looking way more muscly and that meant so much to me because it's less about the result and it's more about that there's an acknowledgement of the effort that I'm putting in So that's why I don't want to make blanket statements about it. But the only reason that that was positive is because he knows the process in there. So I'm always very hesitant to do that with people. I'm very hesitant to say like, oh, like, well done, you've lost weight because you you really don't know whether that's like a negative or positive reason that they've done that or that the process itself, I'd much rather comment on someone's process. I would much rather say like, oh, like, wow, you're eating your broccoli. Like, that's amazing. Like, I see you showing up consistently and, and eating foods that are good for you. Like, wow, like, that's awesome. Like, I want to be process driven, but I wanted to put that out there because I do think it's somewhat nuanced. Don't conflate looks, size, and ability with intrinsic value. This is super important. And how you see this is going to translate to how your kids see it in the future as well. So a a lot of this is how you talk about yourself. Whether you look in the mirror and you say like, oh, I'm fat, oh, I'm ugly, oh, I'm an ogre, all those things. Like that's dumb. Stop it right now. Don't do that. But someone can be overweight. They can be way more skinny than they should be they can be like really living an unhealthy lifestyle they can be have behaviors that are really wildly bad for them but it doesn't change who they are as a person it doesn't mean that they have any less intrinsic value I I think it's really important that we separate some of these things I think it's important that we separate positive behaviors from whether you're a good person or not Because there's a lot of behaviors I have in my life which are more positive than the people around me. Does that mean that I'm objectively a better person? Intrinsically, no. Do I have better behaviors than some of those people? Yes. Like that's obvious and that's okay. But it doesn't change the value that we all hold. I'm not morally better because I choose to eat broccoli and I work out. And I don't see someone who is obese who has a different set of behaviors 
be them positive or negative. Some of them are going to most likely be negative. Some of them are most likely going to be positive. We're not all one way or the other. I'm not going to look at that person and be like, well, they're less of a person. They're lazy or they're this or they're that because of the either the choices they make or the tools that they may have or not have. We're, we're intrinsically valuable whether we have the tools that make us look like that on the outside. And so the way that you talk about people, the way that you comment on people, the way that you like see that is going to be reflected in how your kids see that as well. And this comes back to, a lot of this for me comes back to deciding how I want to view beauty. So I'm not going to say that someone, this is going to probably sound really controversial. I don't say to my kids that someone who is, doesn't fit into beauty normal beauty stands is beautiful like I'm not going to highlight someone who a lot of people in the body positivity world are going to be in the same way because like I don't think that that matters I don't think that it's necessary to highlight that in any way I don't think that I don't think that fighting cultural beauty standards is fought by broadening the definition of beauty I think it's fought by saying like screw it so I don't do that for my kids either I'm not I don't like look at someone and be like wow like look at that person like they emulate like this like amazing empowerment of women because they're plus sized or because they're skinny or because they're this or because that I just don't I just don't even go there because I don't see it as a value metric and this is going to be reflected in uh, like the kind of people that you look at online what you follow someone for all of these things your kids are there they look they're looking they know So for me, this comes down to seeing my body for its capabilities, not just how it looks right now, because a lot of the capabilities that I have are within my control. I'm able-bodied. I'm really lucky to be that. Nick is in a wheelchair. That sucks for him. He still has a lot of industry to go and eat healthy, to prioritize foods that give him a lot of energy he can go to the gym he can work out his upper body he has a he can get a good night's sleep theoretically (laughs) unless he's talking to me which quite often happens but we can see our body for what it gives us rather than just how it looks coming back to that wrapping paper and so when you talk about your body and you have your you have behaviors around your your body that are going to be caught by your kids then you can highlight capabilities rather than just looks. Highlighting things like, wow, like my, look at my, how my heart must be moving for, in order for me to go for a walk. Wow, like, isn't it amazing that my body can digest vegetables? Wow, like, isn't it, isn't it cool that, like, we get to feed our bodies well? Like, we get to give our bodies, like, the nutrients that are going to make us strong and give us the energy that we need. We're seeing this as a tool. We're seeing it as almost a machine to just really carry around our biggest asset, which is our brain and our soul or whatever's inside of us. I would say soul. And so we get to do that. Like we get to reward, well, not reward, but highlight the capabilities rather than just the wrapping. A big part of this is what you choose to do with your body as well. Are you choosing to model to your children that your body does have capabilities, that your body is something which you can you can use to better your life. Are you showing your kids that you can walk with it, that you have that as a as a privilege? Are you showing your kids that moving your body is positive, that it is 
that is a it really is a privilege are you showing your kids that the way that you eat is fueling your body to the best of its capability so that you can show up in the best way like are you modeling that are you modeling that your body is something valuable because it gets to cart you around and therefore your your actions are showing how capable it is and that you are increasing your capabilities like this I think fitness and all of this is really just about increasing our capability to live a fuller life what does being lean give me it gives me more confidence it gives me a lighter body so that when I fall on my skateboard it hurts less it's giving my heart a rest it's giving my internal organs a better chance it's allowing me to have more energy it's allowing me to hop on the playground with my kids I can do pull-ups I can bike ride I can do all of these things I have the energy to run a business and run a team and help other people do this objectively my life is so much more opened up I have so much more capacity for many many things because of the results that I've had but also because of the habits that I employ on a daily basis the fact that I do fuel my body in a way that is increasing its capabilities because if I eat like crap I do feel like crap even though I'm showing up in a pretty skinny little body now so this is this is really about like how you view the tool that you have not just whether it looks cool whether not whether it's just ornamental Another behavior around your body that this may be controversial as well is people will say things like, I don't want my kids to see me hopping on a scale. I don't want my kids to see me like body checking, which is really like looking in a mirror or like looking at different parts of your body and or taking measurements. And my question with this, again, comes back to we all hold value metrics. Do they serve you or not? And we don't have to give those things a value metric. I don't give hopping on the scales any kind of value metric apart from data. So I'm very fine with my children seeing me hopping on the scales every day because there's a huge difference between me hopping on the scales and then putting the scales away and getting on with my day and it's being completely neutral to my life than me hopping on the scales and then being like, oh, I'm so fat like look at me I gained a pound where poor me like it's it's so bad I feel so bad I'm an ogre like that's where you create negativity around those things because hopping on a scale is neutral it's not morally right or wrong it's not going to give your kids a complex or give you a complex or not it's just how you see it if you see hopping on a scales is triggering it's because you've decided that the the data and the number that you see on there hold some kind of value to who you are as a person like that's not true it's just a value that you've ascribed to it so if you don't ascribe those values then it becomes neutral like how kind of crazy is that I mean I feel the same about something like body checking people are really strong on this they're like don't let your kids see that it's like if I go into the bathroom I'm sometimes I'm going to like look at my muscles because I'm like I want to see them it's the same my kids go into the bathroom and they will like poke out their tongue they will look at their muscles they will look at different parts of their body because they're curious and they're interested 
I'm not going to make a big deal out of that because it doesn't inherently mean that I'm looking at it to see what's wrong. I'm just looking at it because I'm curious and I'm interested. Same with things like taking taking measurements, all of those things. So we've got to just ask that question, are things inherently negative or have we ascribed a deeper meaning to them? And you get to dis- you ascribe the meaning to something by how you react around it. You ascribe the meaning to looking in the mirror and going, oh, I look terrible. When you sit, look in the mirror and you say, oh, I look terrible. It wasn't the mirror. It was what you did around that. Behaviors and mindsets around food. Let's get into that. Biggest part here is I don't see wanting to lose weight as negative or shameful. I just see it as someone wanting to make a choice. Obviously, I believe that that, for most people, is going to be about empowered choice because most people don't feel like they're in control around food. They feel like food is controlling them. They don't feel like their habits are reflecting who they want to be. They feel like they are a slave to their impulses. So for most people, that's actually a positive thing because it allows them to develop discipline, self-control, positive habits, and then ultimately reach a goal where they can show up in a better way with more capacity in the world. So wanting to lose weight isn't something that you should ever feel bad about. And I don't think that kids should see that that's something that we ascribe a, a, a negative meaning to. Even if you've seen that as negative because the associations around dieting were negative for you as a child. You saw your mum doing crazy things, always on a diet... It didn't mean that, that wanting to lose weight or that desire was negative. It means that the process and the associations around that made that a negative experience. So if you see your behavior around food as an ongoing lifestyle and that you're, you're prioritizing behaviors that you would love your kids to adopt as they age rather than a quick fix, then that's like a great filter to know whether you are giving them like a positive example or you're giving them the same kind of quick fix dieting example. So I'm always trying to think about, am I doing things on a daily basis that are, that I would want my kids to do as they grow up? And I do. I want my kids to grow up eating a lot of vegetables. So I do actually make them eat vegetables. If I put vegetables on their plate, they need to try them. They need to eat them because the the places or the people that I see who struggle the most with this kind of lifestyle are the people that didn't grow up eating vegetables. That's what we're seeing and that's what the data is showing me. So I'm more concerned with my kids developing a palate for vegetables rather than being worried about whether I'm forcing them to do that or not. Because I, I, to me, that's the bigger battle. And I know because I was forced to eat a lot of vegetables and my mum put spinach in literally anything and silver beet that she grew in her garden. She grated up veggies in everything, which I hate as a kid. It makes it so much easier for me to eat vegetables today. So I'm less concerned about whether they like what they're eating or not. I want my kids to enjoy eating mostly whole foods. That is going to come by me eating and us eating mostly whole foods. We do eat treats. We do eat things that are occasional types of foods. I want my kids to be used to drinking water rather than soda. So that's what we have in our house. We don't have juice. We don't have soda. We don't. We have soda water and that's what they're used to drinking. I want my kids to eat as much food as they want and I want them to be able to stop when they're full. So those are the behaviors they say me modeling. I don't restrict how much food I'm eating. If I want more food, if I want seconds, I will eat it. 
if I don't want to finish the food on my plate, I will waste it, quote unquote. I will throw it out because that's the kind of behavior I want them to take on. And they are allowed to do the same. They want seconds, they can have seconds. I'm never policing the amount of food that they eat. My youngest daughter doesn't really want to eat much, so I'm, I am going to be encouraging her more where I'm saying like, hey, like you are going to get hungry later on. Please, can you try and eat a bit more? But if they're full, they can stop and they can be uh, because I want them to be in tune with that. And so the behaviors that I currently have around food are things that I would love for my daughters to take on. So that's a, like I said, it's a great filter where you can ask that same question for yourself. Are the things that you're doing currently the kind of behaviors you want your kids to be taking on? Are you crash dieting or are you, you eating in a way that you would love for them to adopt? I also want my kids to have really strong whys for their actions and for the choices that they make around certain things rather than feeling like they have to do it because they have rules. And this is things like veganism as well. So for my kids, I'm raising them vegan currently. It's not a rule that we eat that way. But what I say to them is this is the reason that we choose to eat this way. We don't want to eat animals because dot, dot, dot. We don't, we choose not to eat meat because we don't think that that is a healthy thing. We think that you can get all the nutrients that you need from plants. And so I will have conversations with Riley where she will say to me, hey, this person said that you have to eat meat because of iron. This was the one that came up recently. And so I said to her, I was like, well, you know, like meat does have iron, but it also has a lot of other things that we're not really wanting to eat it has cholesterol it has a lot of saturated fat and so we're getting iron from things like vegetables and legumes and many other sources and tofu and beans and so we're we're getting the iron that we need and so she's starting to understand the why of that decision and at some point that either becomes something that she takes on for herself Or it becomes something that she chooses not to. But ultimately, it's not about whether you have to eat a certain way. It's not about whether I'm allowed to do that or whether your kids are allowed to do that. It's about the the why behind what we do it, what we do. And it's the same with eating vegetables and eating the way that we choose to eat. So I will say to my kids, like, yeah, you've got broccoli on your plate again because that's the kind of food that is going to help to fuel your brain. That is the kind of food that is going to give you the nutrients that you need. We talk a lot in my house about microbiome. Microbiome as their tiny little animals. So quite often I'm serving up foods that my kids really don't love. They don't love, I mean, some of them like, one of them likes curry, one of them likes sushi bowls, the other one doesn't. They pretty much don't like the thing that the other person, the other one does, which is kind of annoying. But we we always have vegetables in all of the meals that we make. That's just what they eat. They don't eat differently to us. They eat the same as us. I just eat a a higher quantity of vegetables. And I eat more tofu (laughs) and eat a mummy than my kids. And so I I will say to them, like, "I, I know you don't like this. I know that this is not your favorite. This is why we do it. I gave my daughter nuts in her lunchbox the other day. And she's like, I don't like those cashews, mom. I was like, I get that. Morgan, I I totally understand that you don't like them. Can you please try to eat a few of them? Because this is actually really important for your brain. So she 
is doing something. And then she came home, she's like, mom, I ate my cashews. I was like, awesome. Like, that's amazing for your brain. I'm so proud of you. So I'm trying to get them to understand the whys of what they're doing, even when they don't always like it. And so now like they will, they will ask people, is this vegan? When people offer them food, they're not, they never say, Hey, I'm not allowed. They're asking and they're checking for themselves. And I'm very okay with them learning that level of self-control. This, this again, like this, not, not for everyone, but when my kids come home from school and they didn't get to eat the cake, like, you know what? I'm actually okay with it, that they chose not to eat the cake that was there. Like, I'm not there to tell them they can't eat it. They're making that choice that they didn't eat the non-vegan cake. And I'm not trying to make up for it either. I feel like I should sometimes because I want them to have good things. But I'm like, you know what? When I come back to what are the value metrics that I want my kids to take on, I want them to take on resilience, responsibility, problem solving. And a big part of that as well is self-control. So I'm okay for them to be learning some of that right now to do hard things, even though they don't always like how it feels. And much more is caught than taught as well. So how your kids see you act around food is going to be much more important than anything. I'm also very clinical about mechanisms of food rather than emotional. So for example, I'm not scared of calories. I don't, I'm not scared of saying the word calories. I'm not scared of saying the, of weight loss because those are, those are objectively neutral things. It's, it's kind of funny because people will quite often say to me, like, well, you talk about calories in front of your kids. And I'm like, yeah, but there's no negative association with that. I also talk about kilowatts. No, I don't. I really don't. But I also talk about pounds and kilos. And we talk about maths. And we talk about many things to do with science. Like, we've talked about bloodletting. We've talked about many, many things. And calories are literally just a unit of energy. Why would I want my kids to be scared of science? Why would I want my kids to be scared of the things that are happening inside of their body? To me, that, that's just as crazy as saying, I'm going to be scared to call a penis a penis or a vagina a vagina in front of my children. I'm conflating some kind of meaning with them understanding biology. And I'm just not going to do that because I don't want those things to be shameful. I don't want those things to be seen as evil. Calories are not evil. They're literally just a unit of energy. So I'm very fine of talking about them because I talk about them in a neutral way. And the fact of the matter is I'm not really talking to about calories with my kids. I'm talking about calories on stories. And then they happen to hear about it. But I'm also fine with that. I'm happy for them to understand about micronutrients and macronutrients. Protein and carbohydrates and, that, and things that... And fats and... Our body's having fat as well because it's neutral. And so my daughter will come in to see, to see me getting changed or in the shower or even just like any time. And she, her favorite thing to say to me, my youngest daughter is, wow, mom, you have such a fat tummy. That is her favorite thing. She is a very skinny little girl. And that's her favorite thing to say to me. And I just ignore it because I'm like, it doesn't have to be negative. I don't say to her, don't say that. That's mean because it's in her mind it's just like an objective truth and I will say to her like yeah I have fat on my tummy yeah I have fat on my butt yeah I have I to you I have a fat butt like I'm not making it into something evil I'm not making it into something moral or anything like that what I do say to her is hey like be careful about like how you comment on people's bodies because 
it's better to comment on things inside of people's control. It's better to highlight things about people that aren't to do with their body. So I do teach them that. But I'm not taking offense when my daughter calls me fat. I don't care because I don't, I haven't ascribed any evilness, any morality to having fat or not. I do have fat. This comes into as well, not moralizing foods. And I think moralizing foods is different to demonizing foods. There's some nuance there, but moralizing foods is saying food is good or bad. I did another podcast episode about this of, of whether you call things good or bad. This is like way back in the day, years ago. And to this day, I, I stand by all of that. I do not say that this is good food and this is bad because you're moralizing it. Food can't be good or bad. Food didn't kill someone or go to church every Sunday. Food is just food. Like it is what it is. So don't moralize it. Stop using that kind of language around food. Demonizing food, I think, is more about calling things junk food or um, saying like that is like that is unhealthy or that is like what what probably junk is where it's at or trash like that's like trashy food or what whatever it is I don't think that that's helpful either but again like I do think it's positive for for your kids to understand that there are foods that are objectively better for you that vegetables are better for you they fuel your body in the right kind of way whereas chips and ice cream and donuts don't so I will say I will have those conversations with my kids they're like oh like I want to eat this I want to eat that and I'm like well you know the reason that we don't eat those foods very often is because they don't give us the kind of nutrients that our bodies need they don't fuel our microbiome in a way that is better for them and I'm not I'm not making those foods bad but I'm telling them this is the way that we see these foods that they are neither bad nor good but that they are either going to be helpful in large quantities or harmful in large quantities. I also don't moralize behaviors around food. And I see a lot of women do this, which is really not positive. And that is saying I'm being good or I'm being bad or I'm naughty. And that's not helpful. You make the choices that you make, but they're neither morally wrong or right when it comes to food. You're not being good because you stopped eating carbohydrates. You're not being good because you ate a vegetable. You're making a positive choice. You're fueling your body right or well. That's a great thing, but it's not good or bad. It's not wrong or evil to do that in terms of you yourself. I think there's a huge difference between saying like, I made like a great choice today than saying like, oh, I'm being good or I'm a good person. You're conflating your morality with the choices that you make around food. And I hate when I see people do this in a bad way as well. Like they're saying like, well, I'm, I'm, oh, I'm just going to be naughty or this is a cheat. This is a cheat meal. It's a cheat day. All those kind of things. They're moralizing your decisions around food. You do not need to do that. When you do that, your kids take that on. Next is like making choices about what comes into your home and what's going to set your kids up for success in later life. A lot of people struggle with this one because they want their kids to enjoy the foods that they're eating. They want them to have choice. They want them to um, not have like pushback about that. What I always think about and what helps me is what's the environment and the normal in my home that I want my kids to have in their home that is going to help them most. And I'm setting that up right now. So if I have a lot of chips and now it's harder for all of us to not eat them, 
then I'm making it more likely that it's going to be hard for them to have not have chips in their house as their parent, as they're older in life, because that's what's being normal. If it's normal for our home where we don't buy a lot of those kind of things, we don't have juice in the fridge, we don't have fizzy drink in the fridge, it's normal for us to drink water, then that's going to be normal for them when they leave home. So we get to choose what the environment, the normal environment is, and whether that's going to be either helpful or harmful for them. Like I would love for my kids to grow up and find it very normal to live in an environment like what we live in now. And I think about this in the same way with how my husband and I treat each other. The relationship that we have, I, I, I love that my kids see that we kiss. I love that my kids see that we are respectful and we never call each other names. They get Even when we fight and they see us fight, that we resolve that in a healthy way. So I want them to see what a positive relationship looks like so that they know what that looks like when they leave. I want them to treat themselves well. I want my daughters to have a view of what it looks like to have a man treat you well so that they know what to model or what to look for when they go and see that, right? Like I want them to see the kind of things that I want for them later on. And so this is where like I get really confused when people are like, well, I want my kids, I've got like these snacks in my house for my teenagers. I've got this for uh, like all these foods that I've got for my kids and they're going to have this in their lunchbox and they're going to have this in my... Well, do you want them to continue those behaviors? Do you want that to be hard for them as they go older? Like I don't. I would rather that be difficult and we have those conversations now and we, we do the kind of the training for them. Them have to do that themselves as adults once those things are really, really ingrained. So you get to choose what your home environment looks like and that's most likely going to have involve some kind of difficult conversation with the people that you live with that's okay that is also a really positive thing to model to your kids is being able to take up space to able to share what you need from the people around you like that's positive that's a good thing here are some of the common things that I'm trying to avoid and this is a really really long episode there's a lot that we've covered here but some of the things that I see that I don't necessarily agree with is that kids are intuitive eaters. I don't believe that that is true. And this, one of the things that I read in this book that I'm talking about, they were talking about uh, the fact that like babies, like they self-regulate their hunger with breast milk. And that is true. But when we're looking at the kind of foods that keep people, or that kids eat, it's not just all the same food it's we can't say well because babies regulate their hunger with breast milk kids know how to regulate their hunger or their behavior around food just because they did it when they're babies because the type of food changes like breast milk stays the same it tastes pretty much the same throughout that time I don't think that kids are magically better at controlling their response to dopamine inducing foods I see that my kids will eat a lot more chocolate cake than they will broccoli that is not about hunger. That is about a dopamine response where that food, the chocolate cake, is just objectively more pleasurable. So I don't think that we should expect that our kids somehow know how to regulate that really, really well just because they're kids. Like we don't even regulate it. 
And if you if you have kids and you see how they act around like high dopamine foods, they eat more of them. They're not just somehow better at it. So I don't agree with people on that that say that we you should just like let your kids like free for all whether they want to have more dessert than dinner, all of those kind of things, whether you're going to put like lollies in front of them every day so that they can get used to eating that. I don't agree with that. I don't think there's any research or what we know about brain chemistry really supports that. Another thing is I don't want my kids thinking that life revolves around treats or around foods that are like high dopamine inducing foods and the reason that we tend to think that as adults is that we have all of our most positive and our most negative so our most formative experiences centered around foods when we go to a party is all of the kind of foods that we wouldn't normally be eating when we go and we go out with people we sit in a restaurant and we eat all of this high dopamine highly decadent food when we have Christmas and we have Thanksgiving and we have all these times where we come together and we create positive experiences with other people we're solidifying that with high dopamine foods and so what happens is we start to think well if I want to enjoy my life I have to eat out when I go on a date I have to have my alcohol to let loose. I have to have chips and chocolate and ice cream at a kid's party. I have to reward myself with ice cream when or use food as something when I'm upset. Like we create those. And so I believe that we have the opportunity to pattern interrupt that when it comes to our kids and change the way that they view those things because we're not always creating the same kind of associations. So I want special occasions to not be associated with a certain type of food. I can't control that with other people. I can't control that, that when we go to a kid's party, there is going to be quote unquote party food, but I can make a picnic for my kids that has got baked potatoes, snacky veg and hummus. I can have a Christmas, which is just whole foods and we enjoy the company of people. I can have a fun little date with my daughters where it's not about food I can create associations and environments where we're we're allowing that to be created without the effects of those kind of foods because for most of us we we just can't separate this two we can't separate like positive experience and negative experience with high dopamine foods because we've just always had that. And so I'm trying to help them and want them to avoid some of the nostalgia that I have around certain foods so that when you go to the movies, you can go with a baked potato and that that feels great. That when you go to a party, you can eat vegetables. When you are sad, you can do something other than just eating away all of your emotions. So I'm intentional about trying to create pattern interrupts there. And I do it for myself as well. So that like a fun kind of date can be going to the gym. It can be getting a coffee rather than getting a full meal. Like still kind of using food, but we're not perfect. <laughs> and lastly of that as well is that I want the way that we eat to feel normal. That's coming back into the environments that we have. So I'm going to give my kids baked potatoes at school. Um, I'm going to be continuing to make like, vegetables for them every single day. And I want that, I just want that to be normal. I want the way that other people eat, that society eats to feel weird to them. 
because in some ways it is like it's only within the last 40 50 years that we eat as high calorie high dopamine processed like accessible processed food to the extent that we do because of the advancement of food technology like it's not it's not normal that we eat the way that we do so we can combat that by what we decide is normal We've covered a lot of ground on here, but I want to just recap that you get to assess your own biases. Coming back to that question is decide what your value metrics are. Recognize we all hold them. They may not serve you. You get to decide what they are. You get to decide whether you ascribe meaning to the word calorie and you see that as negative or you see that as neutral. You get to decide whether you ascribe meaning to beauty or whether you see that as neutral. You get to describe whether you assign meaning to being good with the food that you eat or it just being a decision that you make. Decide on the value metrics that you want to pass on and then start putting things in place to actually do that. If you want to have a value metric where you keep your home like a place where the no, the new normal is going to be the kind of normal you'd love for your kids to have so that they don't have the same hang-ups as you, then start doing that now. If you don't want to pass on the fact that you don't try things and that you're scared of failure, then start praising your kids for effort rather than outcomes. Start focusing on habits that you can do on a daily basis rather than just whether you're at your goal or not. Ultimately, just model it. More is caught than taught. So the more that you decide what you want to be, who you want to be, how you want to show up in the world, how you're going to decide to talk about yourself, that is going to be what you pass on much, much more than what you say to your kids. And that's the thing that excites me now is that I exist in a body that I am proud of the effort that I put into it. I'm proud of the effort that I put in on a daily basis, that I have a good relationship with food, that my life doesn't revolve around food. And so what I see, the way that I know that my kids see me is something so positive for them there's a lot more other negative stuff that we won't get into and there's a lot of things that I feel like I'm failing at as a parent but there's so many things where I'm like this is so good that they get to see this and I'm so glad that I had the toolkit to be able to do this in or before they they are teenagers before they really could see me living a different lifestyle that they could see that I chose to shop in a certain way and that I had the habits to do that while they're still young. Like that's like, I'm so grateful for that. I'm going to leave it there, but I just wanted to put this out there as well. If you know what you want to do, if you know who you want to be, but you're struggling to actually implement that, if you have the knowledge, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, maybe six months, maybe a year, maybe less, it doesn't matter. But if you have got any indication that, hey, I do want to eat a pound of vegetables a day. I do want to show up as the best version of myself. I do want to stop saying good or bad or I'm good or bad. But now I want to, I want to be making positive, empowered decisions on a daily basis. If that sounds like you and you're stuck right now not doing that, if you don't feel like you're making progress, then I want to invite you to hop on a call with our team. Let's make some action steps. Let's make some goals. Let's talk about what your plan is. And let's create a plan to actually implement that. Let's see if you're a good fit to work with us because that is what we're doing every single day with women inside of Lean of Plants. And I'm so passionate about this now because this stuff changes not just our lives, but generations. That is flipping cool. It is super exciting. And 
I want you to be a part of that if that's going to be helpful for you. That's just an invite, putting it out there. All right. I will see you next week for another episode. Please send me a DM. Please send me an email. Please make a review. It really helps to get this podcast out to more people. Would love to know what you found useful, helpful, valuable in here. And if you hated all of it, then that's totally fine as well. Just let me know. I probably will just read it and then move on. (laughs) And that's fine. All right. See you next week. Bye.